Hey, everybody, this is Ramon Ray, founder of SmartHustle.com. Thanks for joining me for another exciting Smart Hustle podcast where we motivate and inspire small business owners to start and grow successful businesses so you can live the lives you want with the people you love, serving your family and your community. That's what we do all day long at SmartHustle.com. We have a guest today, uh, hopefully a new friend, Mike Smirklo, who has a book out, Mr. Monkey and Me, and more than a book. He has years and years of experience in building fast growth startups and more, so I'm really glad to talk to him today and have some time with him. Mike, I hope your day's well. How are you? By the way, if people hear background noise, yes, I'm in a car. You're hearing wind go through, so forgive me on that, but that's just the way it is. We hustle uh, what we do. So, but Mike, how are things in your world? How are your day going today? I'm um, great, Ramon. Man, you, you give me energy. I like it. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, contagious, so I'm feeling good. Feeling good. Thanks for oh, having good. me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So, Mike, let's dive right into it. Give us a bit, Mike, of your background. I know that you, like all of us, were born somewhere, and you know, you were a kid at some point learning some things from others. We'll talk about that. Feel free to dive into that. But then definitely want to talk about some of your experience in building you know, high-growth companies and, and startups in that time, and then we'll dive into some key principles for the smartest audience. But feel free to take a few minutes to unpack a bit what brought you to be an investor, right? You've, you've worked with some cool names. I'll let you reveal those names. Yeah. Uh, but feel free to talk about your journey to being who you are today uh, before we get some and before we get into your specific tips for small business owners. Yeah, it's good. Well, um, first and foremost, I'm from Toledo, Ohio, for all the listeners out there, a lovely spot to be from. Um, grew up there. Uh, I say that because I, I grew up in a, a very uh, challenging economic environment. First person I found to go to college, didn't have a lot of role models in terms of uh, success or actually probably good life habits. We didn't really have a whole lot of that around me. Um, eventually, and we'll talk about the book, but I eventually got out. I went to college, got educated. Again, first first of my family to do so. Uh, studied accounting, uh, really, because I didn't know what else to study and wanted to make a little bit of money. I moved to Chicago after graduating from Miami of Ohio. I went to work in a public accounting firm, uh, Ernst Young, one of those jobs where uh, maybe 36 to 48 hours in, I realized. <laughs> I yes, yes, yes. But, but it was good. I learned the basics of business. From there, I went to work on Wall Street for a couple of years, another job that I uh, learned a ton, worked 100-hour weeks, but was just exhausted, uh, did not feel inspired. Went to business school at Northwestern, and then I moved out, uh, luckily, to Silicon Valley in the late 90s, a long, long time ago. But right when uh, the dot-com boom was really in full swing, I get to meet some amazing entrepreneurs. That inspired me to go try and um, learn how to operate a business. My first operating job was with uh, Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz, who have now become much more well-known in the venture capital community, but really uh, amazing entrepreneurs. I, I got to go join a, a startup that was at the concept phase, literally uh, a PowerPoint deck, be one of the first few employees and see that. That is cool. Through. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, through. that would have been LoudCloud, right? That was LoudCloud. So yeah, that's it is. IPO. And, and for those who don't know, it's like, yeah. I was going to say, for those who don't know, it's just cool because, you know, we read about some of these names in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. But when you think of LoudCloud or, or even, like, say, Facebook, which we all know, they were started on the back of a napkin. Like, people didn't know if they would succeed or not. So they could have been just yeah. another company that didn't. So please continue. But it's, it's yeah, no, no, totally. Good, good context. I mean, and that was, um, uh, you know, Mark Andreessen invented the, uh, the Internet browser and now, you know, billionaire investor. But literally, I got to work directly with these two, these two guys. Um, and then I quit. I wanted to run my own shop. I'd always dreamed of being an entrepreneur. I'll never forget when I called my mom. Uh, I was raised by a single mom. I called her when I was leaving banking to go work for a startup. She's like, what are you doing? You know, are you crazy? Uh, but I just said something I felt in my gut. 
Uh, so I, I got really lucky again, kind of a theme of my career. I bought a small business called Service Source, uh, raised capital to do that. And then I ran it for 13 years and, and took that business from a 20 or 30 person business all the way to 3,000 employees, publicly traded, uh, just an amazing run. And then I quit again, uh, or got fired. Actually, you can talk about that. Kind of a joint decision by my board and I. I hear you. Um, <laughs> moved to Austin, Texas and started Next Coast Ventures, where we now have $500 million of assets under management and invested in well over 70 uh, startups or emerging growth companies. I love that. Thank you for that. That was a good, succinct background of who you are. One thing I want to talk about is the aspect of, for our audience, uh, venture capital uh, versus not. Help us understand, Mike, if you were in a room, you're being pitched by Becky. She has a great business. And assuming the business was good, when you'd say, Becky, like they do in Shark Tank sometimes, you know, your business is great. You don't need me. You don't need venture capital. Just grow this on your own and enjoy life. Or would you say, yeah, Becky, I, I love the privilege of give, investing money with you to grow this 10, 20, 100 times bigger than you can. Can you just help us unpack that? And if we go here, the whole conversation, that's fine too. But just help our audience understand because I'm in a group of people that many times they say, oh, I want, I want some money for my app. I don't have five. I don't have $5. I want an investor to give me $500 for my app, yeah. you know, so I'm asking you a lot of questions here, but can you demystify just, you know what, great business, you don't need investment or no, you don't really need $50, you know, yeah. to get the entrance fee versus no, you should, you should get. Talk about that with us. Yeah, well, it's great. It's a, I was just talking to an entrepreneur about it a few minutes ago. So it's interesting. I, I, listen, I, at the end of the day, I think what's the mystique of venture capital which often gets overlooked, oddly enough, is that you're selling part of your business, right? So make no mistake about it. If you, if I give you $10 million, I'm going to take on average 15 to 20% of your business. So you've just sold part of your business. And then secondarily, right. I'm also going to sit on your board and give you insight and direction, which you may or may not like. So I think it, it, it's a, it depends question. If you've got a great business, it's profitable, it's doing well, and you enjoy the autonomy of not having an outside board, or maybe you have a board and you don't want to have investors. I say avoid venture capital like the plague, which is weird because it's my chosen profession, but great businesses um, that are profitable and, and can assume without you know, basically eating and needing capital, uh, I would say run away from venture capitalists. What we, what we do find most of our businesses have not yet turned a profit. They need the capital to build out technology or develop their sales and marketing campaigns. And, uh, and that's where we can help. But make no mistake about it. We have to, you know, if we give you a dollar, we're expecting to make six to seven times our, our, our money over right. a, call it five to eight year period. So you, it, begin, it brings a level of pressure and hopefully insight and help. But you know, it, it definitely changes the, the makeup of the business in a considerable way. So I think it, it really depends. It also depends on what type of business you're running. Got it. And is that why, Mike, I hope there was no cutoff. I, somebody called me and I even have it on do not disturb, but still it broke through. But <laughs> thank you in case there was a little bit of hiccup there. But um, is that why, you know, talking about small business versus big business, talking about the return, because it is an investment where if it is a small business, profitable and doing well, and you want all that money for yourself or you're not trying to grow it, maybe is what I'm hearing you say that you don't need venture capital uh, in that. You may need capital, but not venture. Or if it is the idea that's going to, you know, you're generating a dollar, but there's potential to generate a thousand dollars, you know, as it were, like, like multiple times to be the next biggest thing. That's where, hey, venture capital, go forward by repeating what I'm hearing you say. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And I just also think there's a lot of bad advice that's given to entrepreneurs. It's one of the reasons that, you know, I kind of wrote this book on the mental side of it, but there's a lot of bad advice. And so even the, the term venture capital, it, it, you think about who the firm is, who the partner that's going to be joining your board and what's his or her experience, because, you know, the world's filled with people that think they know how to, uh, how to do something, but really aren't going to give you the advice and the insight you need. So I just say, you know, proceed cautiously, I guess would be my overriding advice. I love it. I love it. I love it. So let's dive right into it, Mike. You wrote the book, uh, Mr. Monkey and Me by Scribe Media, Real Talk Guide for Entrepreneurs Who Want to Cut Through the Noise to Cultivate a Mindset that Supports Greatness. What's inside of it? Feel free to take your time and help us pour through it. You don't have to go page by page, but what are some of those key pillars that you say, listen, if you're an entrepreneur, and I do agree with you, Mike, that mindset is one of the most important things, jumping ahead to marketing and finance and the tactics and venture capital, and all that is probably short-sighted. It's the mindset for business, I think, uh, and ourselves that are important. What does that mean to you and help walk us through some of those key points? Yeah, well, I'll step back a little bit and give you why I wrote the book. Please. Uh, all, all proceeds go to charity for a scholarship I set up for diverse and underrepresented students interested in entrepreneurship. So this oh, was that's not a beautiful a thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, not a, not a profit motive. Um, I don't do public speeches, things like that, because I, I really wanted to, A, hopefully help some kids get educated. But two, I got exhausted by what I was seeing for most entrepreneurs. And I'm not talking about, you know, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. I'm talking about the, the your listeners that are thinking Absolutely. about starting a business or, or running a business, usually a smaller business. And I found like, you know, the advice was either here's how to write a business plan. Oh, that's interesting and helpful. Or it was the seven things that uh, Elon Musk does before breakfast, right? And, and the second category, kind of using, a, I'll use this term, even though I, I got to think of a better one, but it was kind of like entrepreneur porn, candidly, which was sure, just sure. These, like fluffy stuff that didn't really help the average person figure out what it was to be like. And the analogy I use is if you came to me and said, hey, Mike, I'm thinking about running a marathon, I wouldn't say, well, good luck. You know, it'll be great. It's going to be awesome. I would say, no, no, here's the things you have to do and you change your lifestyle and you have to train and all that stuff. I found that that type of practical advice was missing in entrepreneurship. And I mm. wanted to write a book about it. So thus became Mr. Monkey and Me. I, what I wanted to approach it, and I became obsessed with the idea of every business idea, uh, not just technology, think Starbucks. You know, when Starbucks first got it started, there were how many other coffee shops in America? So every business has competition, has ideas that are that other people are multiple people are pursuing, but someone emerges as the winner. Right. And what I I believe, and I talked to a lot of people. I looked at Mark and Ben and Ben Horowitz, Mark and Dreesen. I looked at my own experience. I looked at the seventy plus companies we backed, and I talked to a bunch of my friends uh, who are in entrepreneurs much more successful than I am. And I said, what is it? Tell me, tell me what mental attributes you would ascribe your success or other success to. And what emerged from that, uh, Ramon, was a pattern. Basically, that pattern mm -hmm. started to pull together. And I found five very consistent traits that I characterized called the shape formula that we could talk about. But it was five Absolutely. mental attributes that kept coming through. And so that's the shape formula. And then what I wanted to do um, was I wanted to have a little bit of fun with it. I didn't want it to be a boring read. I thought I was not going to write a, you know, oh, here's Mike's story, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to have a much more rich character. So that's Mr. Monkey. And Mr. Monkey is really the star of the book. 
He's okay. the voice. In, yeah, he's a voice inside my head. I think everyone has some version of this that showed up as fear, uncertainty, and doubt, imposter syndrome. What is it? And um, you know, I brought him to life in the book in a in a pretty colorful and uh, spirited way. And I'm curious now, does Mr. Monkey, that voice in the book, uh, does Mr. Monkey change? Like, is Mr. Monkey always the negative, or is Mr. Monkey just our voice? And hopefully, through reading the book, Mr. Monkey will start to give better advice and affirmation you know what i mean like is he <laughs> yeah. is he the protagonist or the antagonist uh, or is he yeah, us yeah. and will evolve as we go along just to clarify you know yeah um, you know many people have called me uh bipolar so maybe <laughs> i don't know um i i think you know for me at least from my perspective it, it's the voice that's going to tell you uh, it's a voice negativity or dissuasion. So in my case, uh, you know, it's like a joke. Literally, mm-hmm. I'm getting ready, we're getting ready for this podcast, and and the monkey's jumping around in my my office, saying, uh, "No one's gonna listen to this." Yeah, you know, what what are you doing on it? So so how do you start to first recognize that you have that voice? And it might also show, and and two, the voice changes over time. You know, I, I thought I thought if I I took a company public, I made so much, you know, enough money, I did this, is like that. Finally, the voice would stop. What I personally found, I'd love to see if you've experienced this, the, the voice actually gets like adapts and evolves, <laughs> kind of like yes, Darwinism. Yes. Mm-hmm, and next, mm-hmm. now, now, now hits me with different things. Excuse me. So I think the voice is always there and it changes and continues to, to grow. So, so, thus, so what do you do about it? Recognize you have it too. How do you think about it? And how do you make this voice to your earlier question? How do you make it kind of like a, I think of it as a frenemy. Um, I like it. Yes. How can I listen to it and go, yeah, I got that. All right. Thank you. So yeah, that's what the book's about. I love it. So let's dive into these five things. Self is a number one. I think, I think it's the right order. Self is number yep. one. What is that about? And why is that so important? What does self mean? Yeah. What's well, really self-awareness. And, and what, what I found uh, when we, we did a poll with uh, our own portfolio here at Mexico Ventures, and we said, you know, look at our best entrepreneurs, what characteristics would they say? And almost to a company, the entrepreneur's ability to understand his or her strengths and not the, not the, like, you know, not the sunny, the skinny mirror, you know, what, what mom would tell you you're great at, because that's interesting and fun. But in all, if you did a two by two, where are the things you're really good at? Where are the things you're not good at? What do you like to do? Not like to do. And I think that the more an entrepreneur can have that framework and understand it, it does a bunch of things. It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy needs. If you do that at Mm -hmm, foundational, mm -hmm then you know how to allocate resources, you know how to focus, and then equally leads to the next letter, which is H, and those tells you where to get help. So it's really a, a universal thing. And, and by the way, I give, each chapter has monkey minders, very specific tips um, that I've seen myself or others employ to, to try and get some of these attributes. So that's self. Got it. And then, okay, you were leading into help. Okay, self is important. That's I think that's, that could be one of the most important ones. But help, I'm curious, and I don't want to take your thunder, but I, I assume, uh, Mike, there were times in your journey where um, you needed to get help. Help could have been mentorship. We had to learn from others. But I'm excited to know what that means to you and how it applies to uh, this principle. Yeah, well, I'll tell you a story. I mean, it's funny. I, like when I was first doing this, when I first became a CEO, I had these images in my head, what, what, what a CEO is supposed to be, right? And I had right. this kind of... I don't know, machismo or something that like, I always have to have the answers I have to know. And I I remember one time early in the career, um, I had literally had to fire my third head of sales. I could not figure out what a head of sales was supposed to do. I kept hiring these people. It didn't work. And I had uh, in my personal network, I had this legendary uh, guy in Silicon Valley called Bill Campbell. There's a book written about him called Trillion Dollar Coach. He he was a CEO himself, but then he went on to 
he was a, the personal coach to Steve Jobs, uh, Eric Schmidt at Google, the founders of Twitter. So really sounds familiar. Well, I may have come across the name yeah, before. But it sounds familiar. Yes. The story goes like this: he, he, there's a bar down in Palo Alto. He would kind of you'd get like 30 minutes with Coach. His gruffy voice. He's no longer with us, but like he'd been. He also been a football coach at Columbia. But yeah, I walk in like Sparklow, you look like hell. Like literally that voice. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Bill. Good to see you. You know, and like order <laughs> right. a beer and like, what's going on? And, and you know, the, the short end of the story was I said, I'm struggling, Bill. I don't know how to hire this role. And he turns to me and he said, Well, who's giving you help? Who, who's your coach? And I said, What? Did you hear what I just said? I like, I, I don't have time. I'm working 100 hours a week. I just fired the third or fourth head of sales. I'm pretty sure if I don't get this right, the board's going to fire me. How the heck do I have time for a coach? And he just said to me, he said, Tiger Woods has a coach. Steve Jobs has a coach. You know, Al Gold, like whoever it is, like they all have coaches. Why the heck does Absolutely. Mike Smirklow not have a resource? And it really changed my mind. And it's not just a professional coach, but you get this. I mean, a lot of what you do, actually, I think you're a, you're a coach for a lot of your listeners to think Absolutely. about important topics. So it really changed my mind. And then I started to think, okay, where am I struggling? What resources do I have? And how do I start to bring that into my, uh, my practice on a daily basis? I love that. I'm curious, Mike, from your experience, um, do you find that, is there a certain number of coaches one need? Is your, like, if you have an accountant, is that called a coach? Or is that kind of cheating because every business needs an accountant? Is it more so that older guy who's a jack of all trades you have coffee with every Wednesday? It, dive into that a bit more. Like, well, how do you, yeah. what are some of the coaches you use and how does that mean? You know, what does that look like? I, I, I think it's a, that's a brilliant question because I think there's a lot of mistakes made here. One is not getting help. But the second one is, I think, A, you should have multiple sources of mentorship and, and assistance, but also you got to check for relevancy. You know, the, the old guy who you have coffee with, if he or she, uh, we're using a he here, um, you know, hasn't operated a business for 20 years or made a gazillion dollars and doesn't really remember what it was like to be in the startup trenches or, you know, have a small company base, may not be helpful. So you got to find someone who's got time, who's got relevant experience, and also isn't too far removed from the day-to-day to give you really good advice. Um, and I think that changes over time. You know, when you're first starting a business, you need certain type of advice. As you're growing it, it should evolve and change. But I think the biggest push is get someone who can objectively, you know, there's friends and there's partners and loved ones who are going to give you emotional support. Find someone who can objectively help you think about the businesses, the problems, and where you can continue to grow and evolve as a leader. Got it. And I'm curious, one more follow-up question. Uh, any any thoughts or guidance on hiring a professional coach? You know, you're paying money to somebody, 10000 5000 whatever it's a month to help you in X specific thing and or personal development versus maybe a board of advisors. Hey, we're, we're building this SaaS company. So I have 10 people, five people, you know, Mike's one of them, board of advisors that I can call once a month. We all get in a call. Pros, cons, or is it go back to what yeah. you said, just get help and, and, you know, everybody's different. What are your thoughts on? on well, I think things? everyone's economically, economic situation is different. And some people don't have the, the latitude to go pay that type of money. But I was fortunate. I, I had, I had a, I paid a professional coach for my entire time as a CEO. And I encourage every company I'm involved with, if you can afford it, to go hire a professional coach. It, it literally, sure. I mean, you know, it's like if you're trying to learn a sport, go back to golf or tennis or whatever it right. is, you wouldn't just go out and start hitting, you'd take lessons. So why right. wouldn't you bring that same mindset to, uh, to entrepreneurship and, and being a leader? 
Got it. No, I appreciate that very much. Uh, this is very useful. So I think the third one is authenticity. What is that about, Mike? Authenticity. Oh, you know, there's been it's interesting, Ramon. There's there's been a ton of books written about this. I didn't spend that much time, but basically, I really struggled with this. Uh, I think a lot of my upbringing, and I'm not good enough, and imposter syndrome, and I just didn't know how to show up as an authentic leader. And I, I tell a story in a book about where. I had these two different, I had Ben Horowitz and my one is my one kind of go-to visualization. And I had a, a guy named Greg Reyes who it's, you got to read the book or Google him. And he was this kind of super alpha male guy. And I would kind of waffle between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And there was one important moment where we had to make a critical decision about an employee. The company had grown. Um, he didn't have a particular skill set, but he was really well liked, kind of the, the culture uh, hero of the company. And we were going through an employee review and the recommendation someone made was that we should remove him from the organization. And I, I and, literally And that sat, is a tough decision. You, you, yeah. you wish the guy was stealing or something, right? Because then it's easy, but yeah, well-liked, totally. but just not quite a fit. That's tough, but go yeah, ahead. Jack of all trades, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, but I remember sitting there and I bring it up with authenticity because I sat there and, you know, one voice, it was kind of like that old scene from, uh, you know, the angel and devil on the shoulders, like Animal House or something. But like one voice is like, fire him, you know, be the, you know, be tough. The other one's like, be smart, be thoughtful, whatever. And I just didn't know what to do. And I finally turned to my team and I said, I don't know what to do. And, you know, the monkey voice is like jumping up on the desk going, what did you just say? Like, you're the, you know, you're the leader. You can't admit you don't know what you're doing. And it was really that moment where I thought, no, no, no. What does Mike, what does my core tell me? And I had to go back mm -hmm. to my first principles. I wanted to build a business with a strong culture. I wanted to be a place where people love coming to work. I wanted to have a team environment. And it was the first time I really started to, you know, peel back the mask, if you will, and start to show up as an, as an authentic leader. And it was one of those moments where I felt wildly uncomfortable. But in effect, my team rallied around me in a way they never had before. And that was my first cue of like, okay, it's really important to understand what you want to do, how you want to show up, and, and try and live that, that, that way every day if you can as a leader and as an entrepreneur. And what's the story, Mike? You left us hanging. Did the guy stay or go? I think I'm hoping that he stayed, but what was yeah, the story? Yeah, well, so he ended up, so yeah, the punchline is, so I basically, we sat down with the team as my executive team, and we, we walked through what we were trying to stand for as a team and as a company, and whether or not we were thinking about this in the wrong way. And the short answer is he stayed. We ended up finding a different role for him. Nice. He ended up being an amazing part of the company and actually was with the organization longer than I was. Um, so it was really just a phenomenal story and someone that um, has a, a very special place in my heart. That is awesome. And I think it's interesting you said it's not the same thing, Mike, but I was looking at a video from Simon Sinek and he's talking about how special forces and, and high performance teams, you know, where you have the high performance, the perfect person, and then trust. A little different what you're saying, but probably a little same way there. And they were saying if somebody has little lower trust, say 80% trust and 100% performance, they'd always rather have the person that has 80% performance and 100% trust. So yep. I think kind of a parallel, and again, now if somebody can't perform at all, they're a total buffoon, you can't have them. But they said, no, we can teach performance, find a place for them. They can flip burgers, greet people at the door. They can do something. But if we can't yep. trust them, that's even a non-starter. Yeah, it's so pro. I love that. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. It's much better, much better way to put it than I did. But yeah, that's no. Yes, I love that's it. Great. That's probably the guy who you were saying. 
And then persistence. What does this mean for you? I think this is probably near and dear to a lot of entrepreneurs. And my guess is, Mike, that this is where those who are not around anymore, they just they didn't have the runway in their heart. But what does that mean to you? And this again, we're on this journey of shape forming the self we've talked about, help, authenticity. We're now on persistence. What does that mean from Mike Smirklow from his book, Mr. Monkey and Me? What's that mean to you, Mike? It just, you know, I think in the simplest way is it's it's going to be tough, right? And this gets back to the original entrepreneur, you know, it's going to be amazing. It is going to be, there's ups and downs. It's the greatest job in the world. I, I miss it some days desperately, um, the, the impact you get to have and the things you get to do. But going into it, and it's tied to expectations, but going into it and just saying persistent mindset really matters. And if you're, if you're understanding your strengths, you're getting help, you're authentic, I think persistence then is a natural evolution of it. But in its core, it means there's going to be ups and downs. I had this, I had this fantasy uh, island uh, in my time as an entrepreneur where I thought someday when I used to like think, oh, well, someday when we get this big or someday when we achieve this much or this much revenue, kind of like the monkey boys, but as a company, I thought yes. my problems would get smaller. And it wasn't until one of my board members and mentors said, you know, someday never comes. Old sad CCR song about that title, but someday never comes. And what it meant was it's a little bit like, you're, the roller coaster doesn't, the hills, the ups and downs of the roller coaster, they just get bigger, longer. You have more people to help you with it, but it never, you're never going to have a perfect day. And what that did, which sounds kind of negative, at least when you hear it, but then as you know, an entrepreneur, you're like, oh, okay, so this is part of the journey. This persistence, you know, if I'm going to go back to that marathon, I'm going to run a marathon, it's not going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of pain. A lot of suffering, a lot of, I want to stop running, but you keep running. And I think that persistent mindset going into entrepreneurship and while you're doing it can really be the make or break between can least staying mentally tough and healthy or not. Yeah, that is powerful. I'm curious, any guidance? And again, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to give the guidance without the full example, but I'm sure you know the metaphor I'm giving if persistence going forward, you know, I'm never going to stop. There's no plan B. We're going to keep doing it versus, yep. This is a dumb idea. This is just stupid. Now, again, we have the proverbial examples of the Facebooks of the world. Most companies were told it's a dumb idea, right, until they succeeded, JetBlue, whatever. But how, based on your experience, you're an investor. You're now dealing with companies. You've been involved in startups between something where you can hold your head high and say, yeah, we're, we're going to stop. We're going to exit the market or it's just we've done everything we can versus no, keep on going. We're, we're, we're being persistent. You know, how yeah. does that work? Oh, it's such a great question and such a hard one to, to answer. But I would say um, two things. I think uh, both on the entrepreneurs in the market, I think the best entrepreneurs, we, we characterize it this, they cannot imagine the world without their product. And it doesn't mm. have to be Facebook. It could be a local, let's say a local coffee shop. The world yes, needs yes. this, right? But on the flip side, they've got this equally um, amazing attribute to be able to listen to feedback. And so this, when we get excited about entrepreneurs, it's like, they are so passionate about what they're building, but they're also listening to feedback. And I think a lot of those, like, just keep going, don't ever stop. What's wrong with that is, yeah, you got to keep after it. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, you're going to get told no, but listen to the feedback. And it kind of relates to my second point, because when you're trying to figure out, should you keep going? I always go back to customer, the person who's paying you money. Do, do, they, do they love what you're doing? Are there a bunch of substitutes or you can't find anybody to pay for it? Like as simple as it sounds, like if you go back to that, 
now I've got this great idea. The world should, you know, do blank, blank and blank. Well, maybe that's your idea. And I love the passion and energy, but if no one's willing to pay for it and you've been really trying pretty hard, that's a pretty good indication that perhaps that you should re-examine it. Or if you're not able to keep your prices up or customers are leaving, things like that. So in any business, I think you, you kind of have to balance both the mental side of it, but also customers are really good feedback. You know, when people Absolutely. stop paying for something, <laughs> it's pretty, you know, people stop listening to your show, which I know that happened. Don't buy my book. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't buy my, don't go mm -hmm. get coffee from my coffee shop. Huh? What can I learn from that? Um, yeah. So yeah, that's how I'd answer it. No, I love it. I think you're totally right. I think that that's, that's one. Again, there's several variables, of course, and depends on, I guess, I'm sure Mike, runway as well, you know, going back to venture capital, et cetera. Hey, we have the runway to keep at this for five years, you know, the biggest companies in the world, right? Because we're creating a new category. We have to educate the market. So that's probably a different case. But I like your point, you know, going back to forget the big VC companies, but, you know, the flower shop in the corner, you've done everything you could. Nobody's coming in and buying what to do. You're, you're, you're clearly, you're on the corner and your flower shop is in the middle of the highway. Nobody's ever going to come by because they can't stop. <laughs> right. They just can't stop their cars. So yeah. it's never, nobody's ever going to stop. <laughs> yeah. They it. built a, you know, they built a, they built a, um, a prison next to your flower right. shop. I don't know what the example is. Right, like, right. Oh, That's a good example. Yeah. Nobody's, yeah, nobody's right. buying. Yeah. So no, yeah. I think you're right. And I think that I say in my own business and other things, you know, as I go through challenges or successes that same thing you say, I say it to my family, myself, the day I have no options, I probably should consider, I don't like the word give up, but stopping because it's just, that's it. There, there's, I've done everything I can. It's just not viable. Maybe even yeah. if it's, you know, so I like that. And the last point here, um, and this is such a good interview again, Mike Smirklow, thanks so much for being with us, is expectations. What is that about? What have you learned from that? What can we learn from this uh, this keyword I have here, expectations? What does that mean from you? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, a couple of points in this one. One, it's, it's kind of like if you go see a movie, um, you know, you go to a movie, I'm going to see uh, Top Gun this weekend with my boys. Can't wait. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, there'll be a beginning. There'll be a middle, there'll be an end. That's the great thing about movies. You know, you're going to go spend an hour and a half, two hours, pay whatever it is. And, you know, you're going to walk out and it's going to end. I think entrepreneurship, you know, having that mindset too as well. There will be a beginning, a middle and an end for everybody's entrepreneurial journey. So just kind of appreciating where you are on it. Um, the expectations are that it is going to be a journey, kind of back to that persistence, kind of hand in hand. And then the expectations also that, at some point, whether by your choice or the market's choice, it's going to come to an end. I don't know. The more I did that, and in my movie, the, the company I ran, my joke is I liked the, the two hours in the movie were wonderful, except the last two minutes of it, the way it ended. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's okay. I, you know, you can love a movie and still hate the ending. But I think the more you actually can have some, ex some idea around that this is going to end at some point, it, it, oddly enough, it gave me more ability to understand the journey and enjoy it a little more you know it's kind of like i don't know if you have kids but i got kids and like at some point they're going to go off to college um or go you know leave the house and so when you have kind of think about the end of it you're like oh okay well that actually helps me a little bit more with my teenage boys right now um appreciating the moment and i think that's really more uh, of the idea around expectations than anything else appreciate the opportunity appreciate what you're going through and know that at some point it'll end so you might as well make the best of it and enjoy as much of the journey as you can. I love it. And I think that this came in mind for me, but tell me if this makes sense. It's a little off, off wall, Mike, but I think that there is a difference between business and personal. 
And I think, but again, feel free to push back. But I think that if you see the business is simply a tool, the company you built may go bankrupt, may close, whatever. But I think if you've saved your personal money and your family's okay, you're still being able to give to your community. Business is a tool. Taxes and all these things are just, it's business. I keep saying the same word. I can't think of another word. But does that make any sense what I'm trying it to makes. say? That if your family's okay and your, your kids are okay and you've saved money and you paid yourself well, yep. Hey, you sold the business. Somebody bought the business or the warehouse burned down. But are you OK? Did you do yeah. what's right for your family? Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. And it's why I actually hate uh, when people in business use war analogies or, you know, because it's not like luckily we're not in you know, your, your business doesn't make it to your point. Is everyone safe, alive, all that good stuff? Then I think the other thing too for entrepreneurs, and, and I really, I wrote the book probably sometimes maybe a little more negative bent on entrepreneurship, not because I don't, I think entrepreneurship is the most important thing in the world. I really do. We need more entrepreneurs, we need more diversity entrepreneurs, we need more healthy entrepreneurs, all the things you talk about. We need people to, to do this, to create jobs and change their lives. So I'm massively passionate about entrepreneurship. Having said that, I don't love the idea that you should run into it blindly I think you should really question, and my, my question I always ask people is like, if you, you know, Jeff Bezos from Amazon calls it the regret minimization. Hmm. Do you, are you going to look back on your, you know, proverbial deathbed and say, gosh, I wish I would have done that. And I, I think even for entrepreneurs, I'm like, if this doesn't work, let's say in five years, you try really hard, you do everything you can and it doesn't work. Would you still want to have taken this risk? And when the answer to that is yes, that's when you know it's time to go after it. And I bring that up because I think to your, it ties into what you're saying. It's like a lot of businesses fail, most small businesses fail. Um, but the idea that like, I've got to do this, I've got to do this in my core. If you're doing it because you think you're going to be the next, you know, Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> those are one in a trillion, right? They, they don't happen very often. Uh, and if you're doing it for the money, I think you burn out super fast. There's got to be some other reason for it. And it's got to be a, I have to do this versus like, maybe I'll try, because that doesn't really work either. I love it. And do, do you think then, Mike, that that is the definition of entrepreneurship? You know, you have that, I was watching a National Geographic movie or something like that, guys who went to the Himalayas. You probably have seen these a few times in Netflix or somewhere it was. And I think it, one of his toes was amputated or something. And they asked him, would you do it again? He said in a heartbeat, yes. Now, yeah. it's not for everybody. That is not for everybody in fairness. Nope, if I know my toe's gonna get cut off, I'm not going. But he knew it could happen, and it was tested because his toe was cut off, and he went again. So to me, it seems maybe that what you and I are talking about, this is kind of the definition. Working for a company is great. Millions of people should do it. You know, you get a check if you do what you're told. But there are some of us, we just, we, we like, I don't know, we like the risk. Yeah. That's how God made us. Does that make I, sense? No, totally. This I actually put in the book, I joke, there's this weird comedian that does like, you might be a redneck. If I don't know if he still does it, but it's like this guy, you might be a yes. redneck if you do this. But um, but I wrote, I use that because I said, you might be an entrepreneur if. And I tried to identify some attributes that, that are indicative that you may be an entrepreneur. But my favorite quote, I end the book with it, um, is uh, from the man in the arena. I think the Theodore Roosevelt speech. Absolutely. Love that quote. But basically, you know, he basically just says like, you know, to the person who's in the fight. And for my, I started my career as an advisor and now I'm ending my career as an advisor, but I would tell you the best times were in the thick of it, right? When you're in the battle and you're, you know, make or break every day, it's, it was the best job in the world. Um, but, but know that it's got a lot of risk. So don't, you know, it's not all sunshine and smiles. That's what I, I try to, to, to portray in the book. 
No, Mike, and I think you've done a great job. Again, this is Mike Smirklow of Next Coast Adventures, author of Mr. Monkey and Me. You should look at that, Mike. Uh, I want to give you a chance. Is there any special link or anything people should go to to get uh, Mr. Monkey and Me for themselves, but especially since profits go to others? Or is it just Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or any plus a better place that you want people to go to for that particular asset? Yeah, I appreciate you calling out. Um, Amazon is where the book is. There's a bunch of reviews there that I think can help people figure out if it's a good book for them. I would say under my my name, uh, my website, which is Mike Smirklow, S-M-E-R-K-L-O.com. There's a bunch of free resources there too. There's some blogs uh, that I write about this topic. Uh, there's also a quiz um, on your, uh, are you ready to be an entrepreneur? And then all of my social, which I'm, I'm not super active on social, but it's all under my name, Mike Smirklow. I love it. I appreciate that. It's the best way to get in touch with you too. For anybody on here is like, hey, Mike, I want 10 million, you know, to invest in my next billion dollar venture. Should they just Google you or LinkedIn you, whatever? Is there any particular place you want them to go yeah. to? Um, okay. LinkedIn and then also at, at nextcoastventures.com. We've got a list of all our themes that we're, we're focused on. Um, and so if people have a great, that we are always looking for amazing entrepreneurs. So if anyone has a great idea and it looks like it fits within our themes, we'd, uh, we'd love to hear from you. I love it. Mike, it's been great being with you. I appreciate your time today. Again, everybody, that's been Mike Smirklow of Next Coast Ventures. You can see the website, nextcoastventures.com. And definitely check out the book, Mr. Monkey and Me. Don't just buy one copy, buy a few. You never know that entrepreneur that's up and coming who needs this advice that Mar that Mike has shared. Uh, I'm not sure if I said Mark, that Mike has shared. Definitely see him. And again, this is Ramon Ray, founder of smarthustle.com, where we do our best to motivate and inspire small business owners to start and grow successful businesses. So you can do one thing, well, it's kind of two things, but one thing, and that's to provide for your family, support your communities, and live the life you want. We do all that at smarthustle.com.